Thanks, Alma. I was able to go to the men's retreat on Friday and Saturday. I came back last night in order to be with you this morning, so I get the best of both worlds. Um, so I met somebody who is here for the first time. She's from India. She's a postdoc at Stanford. She's a visiting scholar. Your name is Chandra, right? That's Chandra. Please welcome Chandra. She's sitting next to Linda, and Linda has a history of entertaining and hosting visiting scholars at Stanford for a lot of years, right, Linda? I mean, that's sort of one of her ministries, what she does, see? They live with her for however long they're there, and so that's awesome. So um, Terry Malloy is a retired um, prize fighter, and he looks back on his career with regret, and he holds his brother Charlie accountable. So it seems that Charlie was involved with some uh, mobsters and uh, Charlie persuaded Terry to intentionally lose fights for the sake of gambling money. So with these losses on Terry's record, he was never able to advance through the ranks and he was never able to get a title shot. So he looks back on his prize fighting career with regret. So watch Marlon Brando as Terry Malloy, and Rod Steiger as his brother Charlie in the classic film On the Waterfront. Wow. Okay. Okay, Terry. How much you waste, You weighed 168 pounds. You were beautiful. You could have been another Billy Khan. That skunk we got you for the manager. He brought you along too fast. It wasn't him, Charlie. It was you. Remember that night in the garden? You came down my dressing room and said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. you, Charlie. I could have been somebody. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. But you let me down, Charlie. It was you. They don't make them like that anymore, do they? With that, with that music, that dramatic music and pausing and all that kind of stuff, it just builds up all this tension that they don't want to build up that way in films today. Uh, and probably for good reason. Nevertheless, I love On the Waterfront. And uh, 
I wonder, has there any, ever been someone like Charlie in, in your life who maybe has let you down a little bit, who should have looked after you a little bit, should have helped you just a little bit, but really wasn't there for you and turned his back on you? Well, we are uh, in the middle of our series in the Gospel of John, which we are calling I Am, because these are the statements of Jesus in which he identifies himself. So if you don't know who Jesus is, it's a good idea to look at the Gospel of John and these particular passages in which Jesus defines himself. So today, we are going to hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. In fact, he's going to say it twice for emphasis. I am the good shepherd. So question at the beginning, what is it that makes him good? If he is the good shepherd, what is it that makes him good? Question number number one. And question number two is, how then do we benefit from his care? If he's the good shepherd and he cares for us and he leads us, he shepherds us, how then do we benefit from his care? We're in John chapter 10 this week, as we were last week, but we're a little bit further along. Let's look, first of all, at John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus talks about the hired hand. Someone back in that day would be hired to take care of the sheep, would be hired to shepherd the sheep, but wouldn't own the sheep and wouldn't necessarily care for the sheep the way the shepherd does, the way the real true shepherd uh, does who owns the sheep. And so the hired hand then is more concerned with his own skin. You think the hired hand is gonna have your back but the hired hand turns and runs faster when the fast bullets fly, metaphorically speaking, or when the wolves are coming. He leaves you to the wolves and uh, he saves his own skin. Sort of like Charlie in On the Waterfront. He was supposed to take care of his brother. He was supposed to help him a little bit, but instead he persuaded him to take dives for the short end money in order to sacrifice his career. And of course, Charlie benefited from all of that as well because he took a cut of the pie. So maybe there have been a Charlie or two or three in your life, people who you thought were looking out for you and really weren't. We're especially vulnerable when we're young to this. We, we have uh, people who are, we think are our mentors are taking care of us and they really don't. And, and at worst, they exploit us and even abuse us. And all of us probably have been subjected to a Charlie or two in our life. And what's the result of this then? You can be made to feel as if you are alone in a coldly, you know, alienated world, that you're all alone in this world because the people who are supposed to look out for you don't. And then the result is, according to Frederick Beekner. The original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of it at all. We have this shimmering self and it gets wounded and hurt and we stop trusting people and then we live out of uh, some shallow version of ourselves in that deep person who we really are, who God made us to be. We don't live out of that anymore 
because we've been wounded and we have all of this scar tissue, so to speak. So the, the Lord himself in Ezekiel chapter 34, that's a prophet from the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures anticipated all of this. In fact, the prophet could see what was happening in his own day regarding the shepherds of Israel. These would be the leaders of Israel. And the Lord is speaking through the prophet and saying, you are abusing the sheep. You're not taking care of them. You're exploiting them. And you're using them for your own purposes. You're actually feeding yourself off of the sheep. That is the people, of course. And what's the result of this? The Lord says, I myself am going to come. I myself am going to come. I'm going to come and shepherd the sheep. I'm going to seek the lost. I'm going to bind up their wounds. I'm going to take care of them. And that prophecy is fulfilled in John chapter 10, when Jesus, who is the incarnate Lord himself, comes to shepherd the sheep and declare himself to be the good shepherd. So Jesus then is in contrast to the hired hand. And we see that beginning in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Again, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Earlier in John 10, last week, we saw that Jesus knows us in such a way, we're the sheep, by the way, knows us in such a way that he knows our own name and he calls us by name. Now, I think that's very significant. Uh, If someone actually calls you by name, identifies you by name, knows your name and speaks to you by name, that could be a very beautiful and powerful thing, can't it? If I look over here at my friend Larry and I say, Larry, and if I look at Martha and I say, Martha, listen to me, I want to tell you something. I mean, th- th- there's a personal aspect of that, right? So this is what Jesus does for all of us. Whether you hear that or not, this is what Jesus does for all of us. He knows us intimately. He knows us by name. He calls us by name. And we also saw last week in John chapter 10 earlier that the sheep can recognize the voice of the good shepherd. And that's Jesus, of course. We, as his sheep, can recognize his voice. We know him in such a way, he knows us in such a way that we know his voice. So what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand doesn't do this. The hired hand runs away when the wolf is coming. On the other hand, the good shepherd, Jesus, lays down his life for the sheep. He's willing to sacrifice his own life so that the sheep can survive. So um, when you you see this in in, in life, when you see someone sacrificing for someone else, maybe even in small ways, you might say, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful what that person is doing. And if you see, and you read these stories once in a while where there's somebody who sacrifices his life for someone else or someone who holds open the door and drowns while other people can be saved. There's something oftentimes that goes deep within us and we respond to that and we say something like, that's beautiful. The word translated good here, used in the context of the good shepherd, can also be translated beautiful the beautiful shepherd. And even when it's translated good, it has this idea of beautiful. Jesus is the good or beautiful shepherd in that he lays down his life for the sheep. 
Uh, the first time I read Charles Dickens' um, A Tale of Two Cities, I was very moved. And I should say I've never read it since because all you want to do is read Dickens about once, right? That's about all you can take. Uh, we don't sort of in this uh, age know how to read all of those old books. At least I don't. So it's a real slog for me. But I did make it through it. And uh, by the end, I was very moved by this whole experience of watching and reading about one man sacrificing his life for another. In fact, he sacrificed his life. He gave up his life for a rival. And then he says famously at the end of the story, it is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. A tale of two cities, beautiful. On the waterfront, not beautiful. Jesus, beautiful. The good and beautiful shepherd. So Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, but he doesn't just lay down his life. Uh, Well, he lays down his life for the sheep, but he doesn't, he also reaches out beyond his own little Jewish flock. That's what we see first of all in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So the flock that he has is the Jewish flock. Jesus, of course, is a Jew. He's born into a Jewish family. He's born as the Jewish Messiah. But the whole concept of the Messiah, as Jesus understands it, is to reach out not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That is the entire world. He is the good shepherd for the entire world. So he wants everyone to believe in him and he wants everyone to be part of this worldwide flock. There's one shepherd and there's one flock and it's beautiful. And we saw this in the book of Ephesians when we studied that not long ago, is that the gospel unites Jews and Gentiles, those who believe in Jesus, the gospel unites the entire world in Jesus Christ, so that Jesus is one shepherd over one flock. Now, it's perfectly acceptable, of course, to have many different churches and whatnot, and churches all over the world, but we really must embrace this idea that there is one shepherd and one flock. At the retreat at Mount Hermon uh, this weekend, it was really great because we were one church that was there, and there were three other groups that were also there. One was an African-American group, one was a Chinese group, and another was a Slavic group. And so uh, we were all in the dining hall together and we were crossing paths throughout. We would hear each other's music once in a while. We would, uh, we would rub shoulders uh, from occasionally. And it was really, to, to me anyway, it was a great picture that there is one shepherd and one flock. Jesus unites the entire world. He wants everyone to believe in him and to be united into his flock. So Jesus doesn't simply lay down his life. He is the good shepherd in that he lays down his life, but there's also something else he does. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus doesn't earn the father's love by laying down his life, although we can't imagine the father just spiking with pride and joy as he sees his son making this choice. No, it is the father's love that is evident in Jesus's decision to lay down his life. 
So Jesus lays down his life, but there's a purpose beyond simply laying down his life. What is it? It's to take it up again. Do you see that? What does the text say? What does Jesus say? I lay down my life in order to take it up. Here, he is clearly then speaking about his resurrection. And you can follow all sorts of religious leaders all throughout the world and all throughout history. But here you have a bodily resurrection. And Jesus says, I take it up again. I'm going to be resurrected. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you so much because on Easter Sunday, I was at home with COVID. I was watching all of you on a screen and in the goodness of the good shepherd, he has given me an Easter text to preach today. So he is risen. He is risen risen indeed. He is risen. Okay. We got that. So he's risen. Now, so this is all, this is important because in the end you have to ask yourself, what Use is a dead shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, thank you. Okay, so what has, what has he done? He's fended off the wolf for a while, but the wolf has got him. The wolf has killed him. And maybe some sheep have gotten away, run away from the wolf, but eventually the wolf is going to get the sheep. He's fended off the, the wolf for a while, but, um, you know, what, what, in, the, in the end, what good is that? Well... Jesus is the good shepherd, not only in that he lays down his life, also that he takes it up. He is resurrected so that he is with us today. He continues to be our shepherd today. He's our shepherd now. He's our shepherd always. He is the good and beautiful shepherd. And Jesus is very clear here that he is the one who chooses to lay down his life. Yes, people come to arrest him. Yes, people crucify him. But it is Jesus who has made this choice. And we can see this at different parts of the Gospel of John when his enemies were coming to arrest him and he escaped their grasp. In fact, we see that later on in John chapter 10, verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So Jesus and the Father have this all worked out And they know exactly what the right time is. And Jesus chooses when to lay down his life at just the right time. That comes in John 18. Let's look at that. So Judas, that was one of his disciples who betrayed Jesus, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? He moves toward those who would arrest him. Jesus said to them, I am he. He identifies himself. They drew back. Uh, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. Wow, he's not trying to run away, is he? He's standing right there. He's moving toward them. He's identifying themselves. He's, he, himself. He says, I am he. He chooses to lay down his life. He chooses now to be arrested. And in doing so, he lays down his life for the sheep. 
He's going to lay, them, lay his life down when he goes to the cross, of course. But even before that, who are his sheep? His disciples. He says, if you want me, take me, let these men go. He sacrifices his life for their lives. He lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. Jesus, Jesus says he has the authority to lay down his life. He has the authority to take it up. That comes from the Father. He has this charge from the Father to do this, to both lay down his life and take it up. Not long ago here, we celebrated Good Friday, and then we celebrated Easter. Good Friday celebrates the death of Christ. Uh, Easter celebrates the resurrection of Christ. One without the other is incomplete. He lays down his life. He takes it up. So um, what is it then that makes the good shepherd good? Well, obviously, it has something to do with laying down his life. It has something to do with taking up his life again. But move forward in John chapter 10 to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we see here that Jesus, as the good shepherd, gives the sheep, that is us, that is those who believe in him, eternal life which is relationship with him forever and on into the new creation where we're going to serve his purposes forever. He gives us eternal life. So he is our shepherd. He is our good shepherd in that he lays down his life, in that he takes it up to be our shepherd today, now, always, forever. He is here with us today to be our shepherd, to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us, to love us, to transform us. So how then do we benefit from his care? There are many ways, but I'd like to highlight for you one particular aspect of the way that Jesus shepherds us and the way that we can benefit from his care. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 34. This is describing what Jesus did. When he went ashore, he saw a, uh, saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus has compassion. He's the great shepherd and he's looking at the sheep, this crowd. They are like sheep without a shepherd, but now they have one because Jesus is here. What does he do? He began to teach them many things. One of the most important ways that Jesus shepherds us is by teaching us. That, by the way, is what he's doing today as we listen to him teach in the Gospel of John. He's defining himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. We are listening to him. We are listening to his voice. We are being instructed by Jesus. Here in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, read the rest of the Gospels. Read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke also. Listen to the words of Jesus. He is shepherding us. He's the good shepherd. He teaches us the truth that we need to know. Listen to his voice, especially in the Gospels. But of course, not just the Gospels, 
the word of God is Genesis all the way to Revelation. And there are people who say, well, I like Jesus. I like the teachings of Jesus, but I really don't like Paul so much, the rest of the New Testament. Uh, I really don't like the Old Testament. I'm not going to consider that the word of God. I'm going to consider only the words of Jesus as the word of God. Some people think that and some people say that. Just Jesus, only Jesus, only his words. Well, there's a, there's a problem with that view. There's many problems, but let me highlight one. You're assuming when you say that, that Jesus has nothing to do with the Old Testament. You're assuming that Jesus has nothing to do with Paul. You're assuming that Jesus has nothing to do with the epistles. But Jesus is God himself. Jesus is part of the Trinity. You're assuming that Jesus is not the son of God. We believe in the triune God that's clear in the scriptures, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus inspires the Old Testament. Jesus inspires the New Testament. The whole thing is from Jesus, not just the gospels. But we are in the gospel of John today. So what we wanna do is we want to listen to his voice. Listen to his voice. And uh, that, the, the shimmering self, it may be buried deeply, but it is still shimmering. And the voice of Jesus can go all the way down to the shimmering self. It can make it through all of that scar tissue, all of that mistrust that you've built up through the years, all of those fears, the voice of Jesus can penetrate all the way down to the shimmering self. So listen to his voice. Can you hear him? Can you hear him speak to you? Can you hear him speak your name? Listen to his words from John chapter 10. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. That's you and leads them out. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That's you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's you. Now, some may say, well, okay, Jesus is the good shepherd and he takes care of the sheep. But really, as I look at things, as I look at the world, as I look at history, maybe even if I look at my own life, it seems that followers of Jesus are getting slaughtered just as much as other people, maybe even more so, depending on where you live. And so what do we do with that? The Apostle Paul would agree with that person up to a point. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8. As it is written, coming from the Psalms, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. My goodness, who wants to follow Jesus if that's what it's about? We're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There are spiritual enemies out there. There are physical enemies out there. 
There are difficulties. Do you ever feel that? You're just like, you're like a sheep that you're getting slaughtered. You're having a bad day. You're having a bad year. You're having a bad life. You're following Jesus, but things don't seem to be going so well. What does Paul say next? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Jesus who loved us, through Jesus who laid down his life for us, who took up his life for us to give us eternal life. And because of the love of Jesus, because of the love of God, we are more than conquerors in all of these things that would slaughter us. What does that mean? Profoundly, unbelievably, it means this. All of that stuff that would slaughter you, all of that hardship, all of that difficulty, you actually benefit from that, according to the Apostle Paul and other scriptures as well. Sheep to be slaughtered, yes, sheep to be slaughtered, and they benefit from being slaughtered so that something profound happens in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ so that he or she actually benefits from that which would kill him or her. Now, are you going to see all of that in this life? Probably not. But I promise you, when you see Jesus face to face, man, it's going to take your breath away. All of the bad stuff that happened to you that God turned into good stuff. Jesus says this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that, of course, is what Jesus has done. You know what? We are his friends. We're not only his sheep, we are his friends. And what happens with all this bad stuff that happens to us? God turns defeat into victory, just as he turned the defeat of the cross into the victory of the resurrection. There was this fellow by the name of Mike Iaconelli, and he was a wide no, widely known youth leader. And uh, he inspired many youth leaders through the years. But he came to a stunning midlife conclusion. He, he sort of, he'd been a follower of Jesus his whole life, but he all of a sudden, about the age of 50, just kind of, he sort of recognized that he didn't believe what he thought he believed. And this created this crisis for him. Listen to what he says. For me, it took 50 years to suddenly discover that I didn't believe that God loved me. I was frenzied. The only way I knew that God loved me was by continually doing things. So that's how he figured out that God loved him is by doing things. And that's how many religions approach the whole thing. You figure out that God's going to love you or you hope that God's going to love you if you do enough, if you're doing the right things. And sort of Mike kind of bought into that without really knowing he was buying into it. So he was frenzied. And all of a sudden, he just didn't believe that God loved him. And he knew that he didn't believe it. He thought he believed it, but then he discovered, I didn't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think I believe it. So what happened? What happened with that crisis that he had? Listen to this. I had to finally come to the end of that dreary road. I had to finally exhaust myself to the point that I realized I couldn't do enough and that the more I did, 
the more I had to do. I realized that Jesus had been running after me, running after me. His goodness is running after me, continually trying to get my attention, whispering in my ear, Mike, I love you. I'll always love you. He's our shepherd forever, always. I'll always love you. Would you just let me love you? It took me 50 years to learn that. So if it is true, I'm going to ask the band to come up. If it is, and they're going to lead us to the altar in just a minute. But if it is true uh, that Jesus is the good shepherd, if it is true that he knows your name and calls you by name, if it is true that he lays down his life for you, And if it is true that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, then we can use our imagination. So what I'd like you to do right now is just close your eyes. And we're going to take a few moments and we're going to reflect and we're going to listen for the voice of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the good shepherd. Remember, Jesus calls you by name. Remember, Jesus loves you. Remember, Jesus lays down his life and takes it up again for you. And with all of that, just open yourself up to hear Jesus speak your name. Joe, Melinda, whatever it is, hear Jesus speak your name and say, I love you. Listen for your name and then hear Jesus say, I love you. Thank you.